0: Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. Who is God to you? In Matthew 16, 15, Jesus had led his disciples to an area less populated by Jews and more inhabited by Gentiles. He asked them this same pointed question when he said to them, Whom do people say that I, the Son of Man, am? Jesus used his favorite title for himself as not to give away the answer to the question. They gave him a list of possibilities. Well, some say John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, or another of the prophets. Then Jesus asks all of them the question that all of us must answer in our own minds. Whom do you say that I am? Then Peter speaks for them all and confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Anointed, the Messiah. Jesus was obviously pleased with his answer for he said that flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I'm sure that Peter was pleased with his answer and the commendation that Jesus gave him. But the answer isn't just correct, it is pivotal Because Jesus was satisfied with the answer, this is now a huge turning point in this narrative and the revelations to his disciples. This answer didn't just give a theoretical point of view, but just a personal knowledge of the Savior. Although Peter didn't have a complete understanding as he would later, this was a major step in his spiritual development. So I ask you the question today. Who is God to you? To this question, I wish to direct you to three historical consequences to that question. Number one, what happens when God is ignored? Number two, what happens when God is believed? And number three, what happens when God is trusted? I plan to begin this quest by having you turn to Old Testament passage in 1 Kings 15 and see the impact that God made uh, that happened when, when, when God is ignored in the lives of important, mostly unknown people in this passage. Now, we live in a day that people are very reluctant to call anyone evil. They are just different than us or misguided or on a different pathway to their lives. But evil? Uh, There was a college professor recently once asked his class to name someone who they thought was evil. And there was dead silence in the room. In 1 Corinthians 15, the author turns our attention from the kings of Judah to the kings of Israel and in rapid-fire succession. He describes briefly the lives of five kings before going into detail about the sixth. It is very difficult to read. The author says that they were evil. That doesn't mean that they were bad administrators or incompetent in some area, but they were evil spiritually. They simply had no regard for God or his law, and only one of them would be very much known to us, but all of them would be well known in the hallways of hell because they exceeded in evil. Always remember that 1st and 2nd Kings is mainly about the kings of Israel. The 2nd book of Chronicles is mainly about the kings of Judah and the line of David. In the books of kings, uh, kings of Judah are mostly just mentioned for the sake of a timetable. However, there are two exceptions that are here noted in this 15th chapter of 1st Kings. Abijam, sometimes referred to as Abijah, and his son Asa. In verse 3, we are told that Abijam, who was the son of Rehoboam, was not wholly true to the Lord his God. He must have acknowledged the Lord, but was not totally committed to the Lord. What an indictment on a Jewish king in David's line. His rule didn't last long, and his son Asa came after him, Asa ruled for 41 years, and all except for the last five years of his life was a life of faithfulness and reformation. Usually we say that it's only the young people who rebel, but in the case of Asa, his rebellion occurred in his later years. In his 39th year, the Lord gave him time to repent and confess his sins, but instead he rebelled and went to doctors for help. When he died, Second Chronicles sixteen tells us that the people made a huge bonfire in his honor. But in God's sight, the last years of Asa probably just went up in smoke. Sad to say. From chapter fifteen through chapter sixteen, we are introduced to six kings of Israel. For all Jewish kings, they had religious training. They were exposed to all the laws, the miracle, the history of God's blessings and warnings that God gives. They all could have been faithful to the Lord and his word, but they chose otherwise. Now, I mentioned to you at the beginning of our lesson today three questions. So first, what can happen when God is ignored? First, this is not to say about the fate of these kings I've just listed to you that would happen to any or all of us. But it did happen to these men when they turned their backs upon the Lord. Second, we presume that all these guys were young and strong. The kings were many times good fighters, smart, learned, capable leaders. But the single factor in leadership and success in Israel was what was their devotion to God like. And third, this is not to say that any of these men deliberately disavowed God and thought of themselves as unbelievers or even heathen. They just let sin rule their lives, and they turned their faces toward idolatry and ungodly living. They must have just thought that God really doesn't care, or knows what their hearts were like or what they did. They had just seen others of their peers enjoying their sinful lifestyles and desired it for themselves. So what happened was, God was being ignored, in their lives. Now we know little about the first five of these six infamous listings, but God makes sure that their names appear for us, to know them, know of them, and to learn from them. The first one in First Kings fifteen is Nadab. Unfortunately Nadab was the son of Jeroboam the First. His name is attached to much of the sin of Israel. Jeroboam has been told by God's prophet that his dynasty would not endure. That's chapter 14. That judgment now fell on Nadab. He was his father's son, no repentance in his life. While on a mission to take the city of Gibbethon, one of his officers, Basha, killed him, as recorded in verses 27 through 29, and then killed all of his family. So ended the dynasty of Jeroboam, which was prophesied earlier. That didn't last long, that dynasty. To me, there's always a great truth in the in the uh, sentence that Robert Louis Stevenson once wrote. He said, sooner or later, everybody sits down to a banquet of consequences. So Nadab, not much good there. Followed up here with Basha, the guy who killed Nadab. Sad to say, Basha did not take over the throne because of his hatred for Nadab's sin, because he was just as evil as all these kings, and he reigned for 24 years. Jehu, the prophet, prophesied a terrible end to him and his family. They would not have a proper burial. Dogs and birds would eat up their carcasses. This would have been a great shame for any Jewish family. But the next guy in the list in first chapter in first Kings fifteen is this gentleman by the name of Elah. Now, he only reigned for two years. But one time he got drunk while he was visiting in Terza and Zimri. Uh, one of his commanders killed him, and he reigned in this place. To make matters even more vicious, he soon went through all the family of Basha and Elah and killed every male and his friends. This a pretty ruthless guy this guy Elah. how about zimri zimri the length of his rule was the shortest he only reigned for 7 days he knew that the army was against him so he went up after him after so so they went up after him these ones in the army and he committed suicide as zimri did by burning down his house that he was in and with him inside it. Wasn't it fun to be a king of Israel by this point? Notice what the Bible says about the life, his life in verses 18 to 20. His death was brought about not because of his rule, his family, or his enemies, but because of his own sin, and walking in the ways of Jeroboam, and making Israel to sin. The Bible calls his rule a conspiracy in verse 20. But then you have Omri. He's the fifth one in the list. You would think that by now these guys would wise up to see that going in this direction, you didn't either live long or everybody in your family was killed. But now there's a civil war brewing with indecision on who would be the next king and take his chances. Would it be Timney or Omri? Most of the people followed Omri, so Timney died. Surprise! Don't you love it? The significance about all this happened in 12 years of his reign. He he built the city of Samaria and made it the northern capital. It would have been inhabited until he was destroyed by the Assyrians in 722 BC. Notice that the writer of 1 Kings said about Omri that was not recorded about the previous ones. It says that he was more wicked than all of the rest. What a title. It really got the attention of the Lord in verse 26. I don't think I would want that kind of attention. But the last of the six kings that are mentioned in 1 Kings 15 is one that we are familiar with, and that is Ahab. He was the one king everyone would be familiar with. His wickedness was broadened because he married the daughter of a Phoenician priest and brought 400 of their prophets into Israel and given official status. Plus, he also worshipped Baal. He now took over the title of the most wicked of all the kings of Israel. The evil was so bad during Ahab's rule that we have recorded in the verses of Scripture here of a man by the name of Hiel, H-I-E-L, who wanted to rebuild the walls of the city of Jericho. Those walls had collapsed when God took the city during the time of Joshua. And God made it abundantly clear that those walls would never be rebuilt. That's in Joshua 6, verse 26. But contempt for the word of the Lord was so pronounced during the reign of Ahab that Hile did not hesitate to undertake this project. He paid a dear price for that defiance. The Bible tells us that he lost his eldest son, with the laying of the foundation of the wall and his youngest son with the setting of the gates at the end. This fulfillment of God's word to Joshua shows that God's word cannot be destroyed, only confirmed. So we've answered the question what happens when God's ignored. Second, let's go to the the question of what happens when God is believed. Beginning at chapter 17 of 1 Kings, we see the end, we see an individual, and sorry to say not a nation, who found out what could happen when God is believed. The author of 1 Kings shifts from their focus from the kings and their reigns to the prophets of God, and especially, singularly, Elijah. So this sets the stage for Elijah's appearance with these ominous words About Ahab in chapter 16, verse 31, when the Bible says, And he went and served Baal and worshiped him. Remember, Baal was responsible for rainfall, he was known as a storm god. Worship of Baal had existed in Israel long before Ahab, and he gave it, but Ahab gave it the official sanction by building a temple for Baal in Samaria. Jezebel was devoted to the complete eradication of the worship of the God of Israel. When Elijah comes to Ahab, we are not told anything about him except that he was of the inhabitants of Gilead. Neither we are told exactly how Elijah came to confront Ahab. Ahab's rule was marked with increasing regional power, international prominence, economic prosperity, Archaeologists suggest suggests that the craftsmanship discovered in Sumerian and Ahab was unequaled in quality. But the Bible tells us that he was evil. Did he simply walk unannounced into his court? Elijah, did he do that? Was this famine already gone on and Ahab was willing to desperately see anyone who could help? Well, Charles Spurgeon said this about John Wycliffe. God fits the man for the hour, and the hour for the man. There is a voice for the hour, and there is an hour for the voice. God was now declaring on war on Ahab's storm god, Baal, and all of his devotees. Elijah's message reverberated with conviction. He allowed himself no room to wiggle out of a tight situation. It wasn't as if he comes in and says to Ahab, now, I may be wrong about this, but I don't think it's going to rain. No, there was no wiggle room in what he said. The author now makes a significant change. From this chapter until 2 Kings 9, the central figures in this history will not be kings, but prophets, Elijah and Elisha. God did not raise up an, or, an army or an organization to oppose the power of an evil king or the spread of Baalism. Rather, he used two men who were armed with the Word of God, and they wholeheartedly believed it. What is your attitude toward the Word of God? Is it truthful even when the world delete, try to make fun or disparage anyone who believes it? Does the Word of God speak to you personally? Do you believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, as the Bible commands you to do? Have you accepted the hard fact that Christianity is an exclusive message? Jesus said that he alone is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. So the third part of our questions that we're answering today is, what happens when God is trusted? Now God has taken an inexperienced prophet into his preparation camp. Elijah then disappears from public view for three years while the drought takes hold in the land and the people are now experiencing the effects of the judgment of God. God hid him at the brook Cherith. It is an isolated area protected from the wrath of Ahab and Jezebel. But there's two interesting things to consider while Elijah was here. First, ravens that brought him food are really scavengers. They're not providers. How could they serve as a food source? They certainly were unlikely tools in God's hand for sure. But second, the water in the brook would not last forever. The effects of the drought would finally reach even to the eastern side of the Jordan River. The next stop on his training time was even a more remarkable stop than the first. Elijah was told to go to Zarephath, only eight miles south of where Jezebel's father, Ethbaal, ruled where he came from. This was in the heartland of Baal worship, quite a distance from the brook Cherith. Was this a place where the Lord's power could be seen? He was told to go and see an unlikely provider, a widow and her son. This would be a test for Elijah. Would he obey this bizarre command? Elijah recognized her by her dress. The the request for the jar of water and a piece of bread trapped the woman between the needs of her guest, which the culture would have told her to meet, and the needs of her desperate family. The drought had effect on them also. Elijah was put to test by God. He, pro- he probably thought that God was providing the widow for him but not for her and was not what he expected for sure. The Lord told Elijah through Elijah, to make a promise for the provision of the oil and the flour. Somehow she believed him and did what he asked and relied on the strength of a foreign God. In the process of time, she would come to know who God really is. But the story takes even a more unbelievable test. This happens for two reasons. One, to cause the widow to understand that God indeed was control, in control of not only the water and the oil and the flour, but of life itself. And second, it caused Elijah to struggle in confusion about what God was doing. We also have these same struggles. God, how am I going to survive? God, what are you doing with me? The culmination is expressed in the profound words at the end of chapter 17, when the widow looks at Elijah and makes these great words, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. we think to ourselves, All that God has done in these difficult days. Are we convinced like the widow of Zarephath that we know the word of the Lord? We know that it is truth. So think to yourself, who is God to you? For Peter, answering that question to the Lord in Matthew 16, he didn't realize all that that would lead for him, nor did did Elijah, but he believed the Lord And he saw what God could do in his life. I hope today that this will be a day that you would look and say, Lord, I believe you. Lord, I believe your word. Lord, I want to live for you today. Trust that's in your heart. Lord bless you. Serve the Lord today in his strength. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.